question is, what's on the other end? All right, we're about to put that video to bed. I know a lot of you are glad for that, so uh, <laughs> we're going to wrap up the series strings today, and next week we're starting a new series called Shadow Mission, and basically that has everything to do with every believer and, and actually even every leader has a mission and a shadow mission, and we must overcome our shadow mission to do what God has called us to do and discover our true purpose in life. That's what we'll be talking about next time. And, and before you get there, remember, next Sunday's Veterans Day. So as Laura was saying, we want to invite uh, all, all the veterans that you know. Uh, we have a gift for them that we will be presenting them. We want to just honor them in a short part of our service, give them a gift, and just thank them for everything that they've done. And then the shoe boxes, those, that wall of boxes, those are all empty boxes, and they're designed for you to grab one and then take it home, fill it up, bring it back, and a lot of you have done that before. It's a, a cool thing that you'll be hearing some more about, but you might as well get started on it now. I, I wanted to mention something. A, a few, several weeks ago, something happened, and some of you caught it and some of you missed it. But um, in September, I actually celebrated the 25th year of me being here at Grace. And, be, and during that, they kind of brought that up in a service early in, in, thanks, early in one service. And then I was presented a card, and I never told you what that was. Well, come to find out, inside that card was a like kind of like a travel voucher with AAA, which allowed Pam and I to buy tickets to go to Hawaii, which we, we, we did that. And uh, we just got back about nine days ago. And actually, for Pam and I, that was the 50th state. We've actually been to all 50 states, and so that was kind of a, a bucket list deal. So we got to do that, and it was a blast, so I want to say thank you. And uh, while we were there, uh, Pam posted a bunch of pictures in, on her Facebook, and I, I did just a few, but she posted a lot of them, and one of them had me holding a surfboard, you know, so I surfed Waikiki, and, and the reason I used the air quotes is because I'm using the term very broadly when I say I surfed. I mean, I, I most of the time spent... I was in the water, and I was uh, all chewed up. You know, coral is sharp, and, and I don't know. You, I came out, my feet were just all jacked up for being there, and I didn't really get up, and, you know, just a couple of times was I even on my feet, and that wasn't pretty. It was a big old mess. But then I decided to, how many of you surf? I know some of you guys have probably mastered this, but, you know, not for me. You, know, you can tell we don't live too close to beaches, but <laughs> anyway, I decided... Uh, later that I would go snorkeling, which had to be easier than surfing. I'll get back to surfing some other time. But so went you know, snorkeling. It's pretty cool. In, in Hawaii, you can just go to a beach. And if it's a great beach for snorkeling, you can just rent this stuff for like 10 bucks. They give you everything. And you go out there. And so I went out there and, and snorkeled. Actually, I took some underwater pictures, uh, just a couple that may, maybe you saw there. And uh, it was really j just a blast. But uh, here's what I noticed. I put everything on, you know, you have the mask and the flippers and, and then the tube, the fins and, and the tube. And you put your, and I'm, I'm, as I first start, I'm starting out great. And then it comes time to breathe in. And I breathe in like this. 
and, and, I, and, I, and I keep doing it, and I finally I stop, and I'm like, why am I doing this? Why am I, is my head underwater, and I'm breathing in? <gasps> and I, that's how I started doing it. And I realized it's because I have a fear of breathing in water. And you're underwater, you know, it just feels like that's going to happen. And so it's just, uh, just kind of an odd deal. Another thing is, I have a habit when I'm swimming. I never really realized this is a habit until this vacation. How many of you, when you're swimming and you're doing a lot of swimming, when you get tired, you automatically kind of flip over to your back and swim that way? I do that. Not a good idea when you're breathing through a tube that's off the back of your head. I mean, I'm, I'm breathing through this tube, but I flip over to swim. You know, I'm just, it was terrible, but... Uh, but anyway, we all have fears, maybe fears that we've never even experienced. And in strings, we've been looking at the question, you know, what are you afraid of? What immobilizes you? What robs you of sleep? What, what steals your joy? And we've been talking about these different things, and we've talked about several. We've talked about, you know, the, the fears of disease and illness, or fear of people who oppose you, or, or fear of talking to others about God. And so we have all these type of fears. But all through the Bible... We're told, fear not. And we're usually told that in the context of persecution. In other words, people, Christians are being killed, just like Christ was. And Jesus himself is saying, hey, they're going to kill me. They're going to kill you. Don't fear that. Do not fear them, he's saying. And Christians have been killed... Jesus was killed. All the disciples after his death, burial, and resurrection, the disciples that followed him were all killed except for one, John. Uh, he, he's the only one that lived into old age. And they killed followers of Christ at that time, and they've killed Christians in every century up till today. Living in America, we forget about this, but people are still being, Christians are being persecuted this morning in socialistic countries. In every Muslim-dominated country on the planet, Christians are being persecuted and killed. And in this, Jesus says to these people, fear not. And so we, we kind of get that. And God tells us we don't have to fear any of that. But there's one kind of fear that the Bible actually tells us that we should have. There's one type of fear in Scripture that the... The Bible condones, it says, yes, have this kind of fear. We should fear God. Now, just saying that, some of you are thinking, wow, that's, that sounds odd. Fear God. And, and I'll try to explain why that sounds odd to many of us here. We get that culture can influence churches. And not all that is bad. I mean, some cultural influence, it can be just fine. Otherwise, we would all be sitting here in robes and sandals, right? We, we get culture can influence our style, and that's okay. You know, there's a modesty issue in Scripture. But things like that, that's okay. But culture should never influence a church when it comes to what the church teaches from the Word of God, the Bible. Right? So we get that. But that happens all the time. Culture wrongly influences 
the truths that are taught out of Scripture. And some truths are muted or some are just kind of not ever discussed and, and deemed kind of embarrassing. Now, the funny thing is, is a lot of people think, well, if a church has changed its style, then that's probably one of those churches. But that, that's not true. There are plenty of traditional churches with the piano and organ on the platform and a little plaque on the wall that says last, last week's attendance numbers and this week's hymns that have left the truth of the Bible. There's a whole bunch of those. And it's, it's not about... And there are plenty of, small, of, of churches who are traditional who have stayed with the truth of the Bible. Traditional or contemporary that has no bearing. There are plenty of contemporary churches who stand on the word of God like we do. There are other contemporary churches who have abandoned the word of God. We get that. Here's what I'm saying. The style of a church or the size of a church has no bearing on whether the church is standing and boldly teaching the entire word of God or not. We understand that, right? You, you have to look at the teaching to know. That's what we're saying. And we here at Grace, we're a contemporary church. And we've been in existence for 76 years. And we have not changed one scriptural truth that we preach from the Bible. It's the Bible, the whole Bible, nothing but the Bible. That's what we teach. And we'll continue to do that. It's like throwing raw meat out here to, you know, it's like. But here's the deal. Here's why I'm talking about that. Many churches have stopped preaching, teaching about the fear of God. And that's why it sounds a little odd to some of us here. Some of you sitting here, fear of God, that doesn't seem to jive with everything I've heard about God. Right, because culture has impacted that. And so some churches have become a little embarrassed or, or they view you know, the fear of God as kind of old school and that really doesn't have any place today. We only talk about the love of God today, which again is, is, an, is a great thing to emphasize. But we have to see God in totality of who he is. Because you got to know something. We are continually reminded and commanded in Scripture to fear God. So today, basically, what I want to do is deal with that topic, and I want to answer three main questions. Number one, what is the fear of God? Number two, why should we fear God, especially a God who loves us? And then number three, how do we fear God? How, do we, how, how does this play out in our lives, how do we fear God? So first of all, first question, what is the fear of God? It's very interesting because this is extremely foundational in our relationship with God, the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 9.10. By the way, there are many verses that talk about this exact truth, but here's what it says. The fear of the Lord and this is Lord, his personal name, Yahweh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So right away we're told, Old Testament, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There are a lot of things that we want to learn about God, 
but we're told right off the bat that it's the fear of the Lord that's the beginning of all that. We have to understand the fear of the Lord before we're going to understand anything about God. It's the beginning of wisdom is what he's saying. Now, we all get, and we've probably heard, that fear can be used in a couple of different ways. I, I think there's a danger that we overemphasize this, that it can be used in two different ways. For example, you look up fear, and you basically get the primary definition of dread or, or terror, you know, something to be afraid of. But there's always a secondary definition that's usually stated something like this. Um, reverential awe, and it's always kind of in reference to God. And then some people will go a little bit further and they'll say, well, fear as in respect. The danger of that is, is if we're not careful, fear as respect is, is really, you're in danger of diluting what the fear of God actually means if you reduce it all the way down to respect, like you would respect somebody that you just thought lived a good life or this or that somebody in your life that you've known a long time or somebody consistent Christian or, or your boss or whoever. It's not just respect. It's more than that. And if we want to use the term reverential awe, then we need to put the emphasis on the awe that we are awestruck by God. That kind of has to do with the fear of God. Because here's the deal. We need today to be cured of our conception of a weak and tame God. A God with all the power to bless people, but none of the power to deliver frightening judgment. Because God of the Bible is both. He's loving and he's frightening. And we need to kind of get that together. We're going to talk about that and develop that out. Now, fear of God, I would define it this way. I, I kind of wrote this down. A sobering, it's just my words, a sobering, awe-inspiring mixture of reverence, fear, humility, and joy that fills our hearts when we come to know the God of this book. That's the way I would define the fear of God. And Jesus kind of, he did the same thing. We're told in the Bible, don't fear and fear. And there was actually a time as Jesus was teaching, he, he kind of mixed the same thing. We see it in Luke and Matthew. We'll look at it specifically in Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 28. Here's what he says. Do not fear those who kill the body. Back to this persecution theme. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul. Then he tells us who to fear. He said, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both the soul and body in hell. Are not two, very interesting how, now the next thing he says, very interesting. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my father who is in heaven. But whoever 
denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Now, it's very interesting what Jesus is saying here. Because first he's saying, hey, you don't have to fear anybody. And then it says, fear God. Then, it, then he talks, after we're told to fear God, he immediately talks about God's love for us. That he knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows the exact number of hair on our head, easier for some than others. He knows that. And he, he gets that. And he cares about us. And he loves us. And he's given us a basis that, that in that sense, we don't have to fear. But a relationship with God is on God's terms. And the terms are, we have to confess Jesus. We have to follow Jesus, put our trust in Jesus. We, we have to be on Jesus' side. We can't just freelance it. We can't just think we have our own way to heaven. If we deny Jesus before men, he will deny us before the Father, is what he's saying. So we have this mixture of God's love, but then we have a relationship with him on his terms. And if we don't get that right, we have frightening judgment and eternity in hell. All that's kind of packed in there. And we need to understand that. He rightly sets the term of relationship. And it's when we start developing all these aspects of God that we have the proper fear of God. Because it really has to do with just a wonder and, and being awestruck at his majesty. That, it's kind of interesting to me because as people, as we go through life, it, it, it takes more and more to cause, you know, we're... We're awestruck by less and less. You know, for example, you take your kids to Disneyland. And they're just like, wow. You know, they're just, whoa, every sense on high alert. But, but after you've been there a couple times and after you grow up, it's just like, oh, yeah, Disneyland. It's just, you know, how long is this going to take? Let's get through this thing. You know, it just change, it's not the same wonder. The older we get, the more it takes to fill our hearts with wonder. And only God is big enough to continually fill our hearts with wonder for our entire life. From the first day until we're 120, it does not matter. Our hearts will grow in wonder of God. And that's with us only seeing a sliver of who he is and how he's revealed himself in scripture. We just see the tip of the iceberg. Deep down, I think, we want and need a God that we can fear. We need a powerful father, one with the power to judge and protect, and one who loves with fury and strength. So, if that kind of helps us understand and, or define the fear of God, the next question is, well, why? Why do we fear God? Well, we've, talked, we've touched on it already. It's because of his power. Think, have you ever thought about it? Probably a lot of you have thought about this. I, I've, I've thought about this many, many times. If we could just see God in his glory for one second, can you imagine 
It would change our lives forever if we could just see him in his majesty, just a glimpse, we'd never be the same. That's kind of interesting because the disciple John, the, one, the only one that lived into older age, he, you could argue that he was the closest disciple to Jesus. You know, there's that passage where they're having a meal and they're, you know, they're kind of reclining and, you know, at some point the disciple John is kind of leaning with his head up against Jesus's chest, you know, as they're kind of lounging around and we have this, this picture of this intimacy, this closeness that, that the disciples have, but particularly three, uh, Peter, John, and James, but even more so maybe John. And then John... At the end of his life, he writes the book of Revelation where he was caught up into heaven. And if you remember this, here's what happened when John, who knew Jesus the best, the incarnate Christ during his earthly ministry, saw Jesus in heaven. It's in Revelation 1, 17. So here's John talking. And he's talking about Jesus. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me, saying, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. And he goes on describing it. So here's what I'm saying. The disciple John, who maybe humanly knew Jesus and was closer to Jesus than any other person that lived during Christ's ministry, when he sees Jesus and his glory in heaven, he, boom, he faints dead away. He's just, he's out of it. It's too much for him. He's undone, Scripture says. It's the power of God that does that. As you can imagine, when I was at Waikiki, I was tossed around by some waves and stuff. And like I say, because of that, I was jamming into coral and everything else. But that, that's not the, the worst that I felt of the ocean. I remember one time I was in Southern California and we were uh, bodyboarding, you know, the, the body, the short boards where you're, you're prone, you're not trying to stand up on them, it was a lot easier. But anyway, we were doing that, I was doing that with Zach and, and we were paddling around doing that and we had some pretty big waves coming in, it was just a blast. But one time I got in one of those big waves and it curled over me. I don't know if this it's probably happened to some of you. And I mean, I got caught in the wave. And I was just, I was flipping and tumbling and I couldn't do anything to stop. I was like in a washing machine turned sideways. I was just going over and over. I was just in a ball. Just, I was being flipped around like a rag doll. This ever happened to any of you? You get caught in a wave like that? And there is nothing you can do. I mean, you're just, you're just like a rag doll, rag doll. And, and you're holding your breath because you can't get out of it. And you're holding your breath and you're being flipped and you're holding your breath and you're running out of breath and you're running out of breath and you're starting to think, I'm running out of breath, and I can't get out of this. And then all of a sudden, about the time when you can't, when I couldn't hold my breath any longer, wham, I hit the sand beach. My head and my shoulders just jammed into the sand in just shallow water, and then the wave retreated, and I was just on my hands and knees, you know, just like, just sucking in some oxygen, and then about the time I was feeling good, another wave came, you know, knocked me on my belly, just for humility, you know, that, but just that, 
When you feel that kind of power, it makes you appreciate the ocean. When we were in this island where Honolulu is, Oahu, we went up to the North Shore, and I kind of wanted to check out the North Shore. That's where these guys really surf, you know. That's where the Bonsai Pipeline is and Sunset Beach and the Rock Pile and the Log Cabin, all, this, all these little surfing areas that they have on the North Shore. And, and there are places you can stand on the North Shore on the beach where the ground shakes when the waves crash. On the, I mean, you, it shakes you. It's, it makes you appreciate the power of the surf. This is how it is with God. We need to come to the realization we are always under the power of God. Whether we think it or not, we're always there. He encompasses us, and we need to be able to see that to get it. There's a lot to learn about God. But the first thing is to fear him because it's the beginning of wisdom. The beginning of wisdom. Isaiah 44, beginning of verse 6, says, This is God. You know how people mock God? Have you noticed how flippant our culture has come with God? Without this fear of God, people mock God. People use his name in vain. People say stuff, well, I, I'm not going to believe in no God. That You know, and they, like they're going to challenge God, like they're going to judge God. And then here in Isaiah, sort of God responding to this kind of thought. Thus says the Lord, that's capitalized, that means Yahweh, his personal name. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. And there is no God Besides me, who is like me? Let him proclaim and declare it. Yes, let him recount it to me in order from the time that I established the ancient nation and let them declare to them the things that are coming and the events that are going to take place. Here's what God's saying. You want to challenge me? You think you can stand up to me? then step up, step forth and say it, proclaim it. And then while you're doing that, tell me what the future is going to be. Tell me what's going to happen next. Nobody can stand up against God. We are his creation. Today, people talk about God with such arrogance like they're putting him on trial. But, but here's the thing. Right after God says all that, let him step up. Let him declare it. Let him tell, tell us what's going to happen next. He says this in the very next verse. Do not tremble. And do not be afraid. So we have this fear God, but when we're in relationship with him, we have this, we don't have to tremble and be afraid. That, that's, what, that's the tension that we're trying to, to figure out today. And it's common in scripture. 
You see it in God's power when it's revealed, how it totally undoes us, striking fear and wonder and awe in our hearts. And then we realize if we know God, the humbling truth that he loves us, cares for us, knows us individually in detail, and has loved us with great cost, the death of his son, that Jesus would voluntarily lay down his life be tortured to death for us. That brings us to the third question. So how are we to to fear God? How how do we live that out? How can it be that, that we're not to have fear, but we are to fear God? You know, how do we make that distinction? And maybe one of the best ways is this way, is to... Understand how God describes himself. Most often he does that as describing himself like a father. You know how it is if you grew up with a dad. Uh, Maybe you're playing out in the front yard when you're young, you're little, and your dad says, do not get in the street. Do not play in the street. And you say, okay. And then you're playing, you know, and then you're starting to stretch the boundaries and you get closer and closer and a couple of balls go over into the street. Next thing you know, you're playing in the street. You're in the street. And then dad finds out. And then he calls you and, and you, get a, you, get, you get a spanking or you get a whipping. And, and that strikes the fear of your dad in you. I mean, you're like, whoa, no, oh, he found out. But then you grow up And you start realizing that all those rules and and that punishment, that discipline that he handed out so severely, it seemed like, was all just because he loves you. And all of a sudden, that that fear of your father, kind of, it starts changing into something else. You know, we can call that respect. Maybe. Now, we're talking about our creator. So we see how everything goes way beyond that. Everything he does is for our benefit, even his discipline, even though it seems severe. And he's telling us he's judge. And he will judge. And it's the right thing for him to judge. And that's why he judges. And it's severe, more more severe than we've ever thought because our offense is more severe than we ever thought because it's it's offending a person, God, who's bigger than we ever thought. Proverbs 19.23 says, The fear of the Lord leads to life so that no so that one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. This is kind of that picture. The fear of the Lord leads to life, so that one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. That's that father love of God. It's like we were singing, no longer slaves. Tim and I talk about this a lot, but anytime one of us are gone for a week or so in a church our size, it seems that we lose somebody. And so right, when I, right after I got back, 
I, I attended the memorial services for two men in our church, Mike Raffelder and Mark McCubbin, two good men in our church who died before their time, who meant a lot to us, who had both Mark just a year ago and, and Mike a few years ago became believers. And, and Mike kind of having a, a change in his life a couple years ago and just great things. Here. Mark, who became a believer last year, last year we actually uh, taped his story of how he kind of came to Christ. And, uh, and, and I would like to show that, kind of put it in, let him put it in his own words. I thought I had a relationship with God. I used to talk to him occasionally. Um, I talked to him maybe driving to work, but as far as going to church, I never felt comfortable anywhere. I just always seemed like I was singled out or everybody's looking at me, that type of deal. My brother Rick, we were just going to get car parts and he asked me if I died right now, would, uh, would I go to heaven? And I kind of give him an answer, but it planted a seed to me. It made me think, and I never really said anything to him at the time, but from that point on, I knew something was missing. I was searching, but I didn't quite know where, and I thought, well, if I'm going to go to any church at all, it'll be this one. I had been asking him for quite a while to come here to Grace, and I was really surprised when he said, hey, let's go to church Sunday with Rick and Cass, call him. And I literally got up and ran to the phone. I couldn't get there quick enough because um, I didn't want him to change his mind. The day that we were asked to come in to uh, join the church, I was real skeptical. I, I actually even teased the wife. I wasn't sure that they were going to let me in. I accepted the Lord that day, and it was May 28th of this year. After we left our, our meeting with Pastor Forrest, we were walking down the hallway out to the parking lot, and uh, he was walking a few steps ahead of me, and he was like skipping. And I'm like, what are you doing? And he turned around and he said, I got an extra bounce in my step. And that really sums it up the way we both feel since that day. Um, the Lord has just kind of bounced into our life, and he's changed it so much for the good. He smiles all the time now. He, he never was a smiler, and friends are actually even comment on how much he smiles. I always wanted to have a relationship with him. Um, I just never really knew how to ask. Um, I didn't have the guidance. I didn't know who to turn to to ask. I, I didn't know it was just as simple as wholeheartedly asking for it. My name is Mark McCubbin. I would like to proclaim that Jesus Christ finally came into my life. About 13 years ago, Mark was one of the construction guys building this building. Uh, he was a, a welder, I think, and as he was doing that, he never thought he would ever go to church. And through the grace of God, last year, not only came to church because of the influence of, his, of Denise, his wife, and his brother Rick, and his wife Cass, and ended up becoming a believer. He, he wore the biker jacket, I, you know, we'll miss him. 
when he came, he heard something we call the gospel. Gospel just means good news. And, and it's good news because it has everything to do with the fear of God. See, God has loved us. He created us. He gave us a gift of free will. But we've all done wrong. We've all taken that, that gift and we've misused it. And we've rebelled against God doing our own thing, doing things that God says are wrong. And so that's called sin in the Bible. And so we're all sinners. But, but we miss the fear of God, you see, because of God's power and because of God's righteousness. And because of God's justice, he says sin has to be punished. Has to be. Which is terrible news for all of us. But the good news is that God is also a God of love and he loves us individually. He loves us more than we ever thought we could be loved. He knows us. He knows every, you know, the number of every hair on your He knows us better than we know ourselves, and he still loves us. And it's not because we have worth. It's because of his character. He gives us worth. And because he loves us, he, he made a way. He knew sin would have to be punished, and the punishment would be severe. Because the crime is severe. Our crime is severe against God. But he made a way. And he did that by allowing his one and only son, Jesus Christ, who existed with him in eternity as God, in Trinity, to come, leave heaven, clothe himself in human flesh, be born as a, as a baby in humble circumstances, grow up to adulthood, teach people about God in his public ministry for three years, and then he, was, he voluntarily allowed himself to be tortured to death by his own creation. And he did that to open up a way for us to be forgiven. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's the message of the entire Bible, cover to cover, in a nutshell, God's plan to redeem sinful people back to him. But it's not automatic. It comes with a decision, just like Mark was saying. It comes with a decision to wholeheartedly, sincerely, ask him for forgiveness. Ask him to come into your life. Now, to do that, you have to understand that you're a sinner and admit that sin, acknowledge it. And understand who God is, that he has the power to forgive sin through what Christ has done. And once we learn to fear God like that, we fear him and we love him. Because he teaches us he is worthy of both. And so, most important decision you can ever make in your life is is to make this decision to follow Christ. 
And I don't want to close the service without you having that opportunity. So I'd like everyone to, to bow our heads. And here, here's what I'm going to do. And some of you are used to this and some maybe not. This is just a heart turning to God. You don't even have to do this in church. But I want to give you the opportunity. God knows your every thought. He knows every detail about you. And he loves you. But in order for you to be right with him, you have to put your faith in his son. There's only one way. He calls the terms. It's Christ alone. And if you're ready to put your trust in Christ, if you're ready to ask him into your life, like Mark was talking about, sincerely, wholeheartedly, then I'm going I'm to show you a prayer, just tell you a prayer, and you just make this prayer your prayer or, or something like it. You can do it silently. God knows your every thought. It's just a way to verbalize you're placing your trust in Christ. So pray, if you're ready to do that, pray something like this silently and sincerely in your heart to God. Father in heaven, God, I admit that I'm a sinner, that I've done wrong things, and Lord, I deserve your punishment. But God, you made a way because you love me. And the way, the only way, is through your son Jesus. And I'm placing my belief or my faith, my trust in, in Jesus right now. And only in Jesus for my salvation. And God, I'm asking you to forgive me and to come into my life. And help me to live the way you want me to live. Help me to live in a way that honors you. Change my life. In Christ's name. As we keep our heads bowed, I just want to ask the question. Uh, I'm not going to call anybody down here and embarrass anybody in any way. Trust me on that. I want to start with the side over here, your, your left side, over by Smith Road. And, and just ask you, if you prayed that prayer, I'd just like to see your hand so we'll know to pray for you. We're not going to do anything. Just right now, I'm looking, everybody heads bowed. If, if you're saying, hey, Kevin, I, I just prayed that prayer. I'm going to give my life to Christ, just like Mark did. I want you to just pop your hand up. Let me see it and put it right back down. That's all I'm asking you to do. Just put it up and put it down. Anybody over here? I see you over there. Thank you. On the left side here, anyone? Just put it up. And right back down. I see you back there. Thank you. And then the other side, the right side, moving across the auditorium. If you're saying, yeah, that applies to me. I, I prayed that prayer just now. Thank you. You three right down here. I see you. Thanks. Thank you. In the back, anybody? And over here on the, on the edge, anyone? Saying, yeah. Hey, Kevin, I, I prayed that prayer. Anyone else? Just pop it up. Let me see it. Make eye contact with me. Put it back down. Father, we thank you for, for those things who have uh, put their faith and you, especially those who have done that today. And Father, we pray that they would understand that we as believers were no longer slaves to fear. Because we are a child of God. In Christ's name, amen. I'd like us all to stand. I asked Jay to come back out and, and reprise this song, No Longer Slaves. And as he does that,
I also, some of you old school, you'll get what I mean by this, but the invitation's open. Uh, through this whole series, we've been talking about fear, and if you feel like there's been something that's interfered with your relationship with God, I invite you, while we're singing this song, to come down, just kneel down here, pray, go back to your seat, get that right with God. Invitation's open in that sense. If you want to talk to a pastor, during the song, make your way back to room one. Or if you, you prayed that prayer, we actually have uh, some material for you to read. We'd be happy to give that to you. Just go to room one on your way out, or even after the song's over, we'll see you there. Jay, lead us.